and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Traumatic events are usually very memorable. Unless, of course, it was so seriously traumatic that you don't want to remember and you try to suppress it. In any event, today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about how to be released from the damage of traumas of various levels. And it may be that you have experienced uh, some sort of trauma. In fact, most people have. Uh, I've certainly experienced quite a number of them of various levels and uh, various kinds of trauma. I remember my wife uh, being hit from behind on a Southern California freeway with a car loaded with our children and their friends. And it was an extremely traumatic experience. In fact, so traumatic that now, 50 years later, she still puts her feet down in the car when we're driving. And it is very unnerving. It's as if it's happening all over again. Well, sometimes when people have traumatic experiences, uh, they do seem to experience them in one way or another all over again. And today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about uh, some of that. And uh, our special guest is joining us from uh, uh, Clovis, California. And uh, we were just having a wonderful conversation before the uh, program in that I have a memory from Clovis, California. It takes us back to 1960, in which I ran on the very first synthetic track uh, in a high school uh, certainly there in California, and I think perhaps in the nation, the first synthetic track, and I love track and field to this day, and it was not traumatic. But our gentleman today, our guest, Otis Ledbetter, uh, is coming to us from Clovis, California, with his book, Set Free, Release from the Damage of Trauma. Otis, it's good to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. And <clears throat> I'm, I just live two blocks from that track you're talking about. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, I'm I'm glad that I don't have a traumatic experience there. I did in another uh, location in a track meet in which I had a uh, a major uh, torn muscle that jerked me off the track, and uh, I remember that vividly to this day. And uh, certainly would not ever want to repeat that event. But it didn't happen there in Clovis. Uh, that was a very wonderful memory. It was like running on a cloud. Good description. Yeah. Well, what is it about uh, this matter of uh, trauma that causes you to write a book about it? You're a pastor, is that right? I am. And uh, well, have, wait a minute. If you're a pastor, that means you have to have had traumatic experiences. <laughs> I grew up in a pastor's home, and he had repeated That's traumatic true. experiences, <laughs> just like Indeed. Jesus did with his parishioners. Indeed. <laughs> so, but but particularly, what is it uh, that caused you, Otis, to want to write about uh, this matter of trauma? I, I, I sit on a, a board of some of the community service I do. I sit on a, a nonprofit board mm-hmm. that is uh, um, 
here in Fresno, California. Okay. And it's called Fresno Family Leadership, and one of their uh, entities in that is called Parenting Partners. Parenting Partners goes into school districts all over the nation, mm-hmm. and they supply what the federal government requires um, schools to have is parent enhancement programs. Mm-hmm. And so in those parent enhancement programs, <clears throat> we're very familiar with it. And sitting on the board, I mean, it comes to us all the time. And I was sitting there, uh, oh, probably 2020, I'm sure that's when it was, when the president of that organization, David Bunker, came in and said, we're going to have to change the way we do some things, and we're going to have to write some new curriculum. And he he used this word, trauma-informed. And mm. he said, that's coming down the pike, and it's going to be in every school in the nation, and every school in this nation is going to have to um, address, because COVID has caused such trauma. Kids can't be in the classroom. Parents have to now adjust their lives because the kids will be at home, and everything, the people that are there, that it's being lost, the number of people that are dying, and everything that's on television and everything that's on radio, what they're finding now is the kids will not learn or cannot learn because of the amount of trauma that has fallen into their life at this particular time. Hmm. We had a long conversation on that, and um, I thought... Uh, at the time, to be honest, I thought, well, I've suffered trauma and I got over it. Um, what, you know, is it, is it really that big of a deal? And I asked some questions that I thought were hard questions and it all came back to the data that was coming down was that trauma was, uh, um, well, it was, it is a lot worse than what I had thought. So I started talking to some, uh, some of my colleagues and, and uh, other theologians and asking them about this. And the consensus was uh, it's rarely addressed in the pulpit. And um, there are some like Teen Challenge out here in the Marjorie Mason Center for for Abused Women, Teen Challenge for Young Men and Young Women Who've Gotten in Trouble with Their Life and mm-hmm. Need to Start All Over Again. So I talked to some of them, and the leaders of those organization, Chuck, told me that they don't know of a church that has addressed trauma. Hmm. And the people sitting in our pew, if you ask them, they have. So this book came out of a series of sermons that I decided to study and and teach on trauma. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a counselor. I've been a counselor for 54 years. I uh, tra- uh, trained in counseling, and um, I, although I'm not a psychologist and um, I'm not a, the professional therapist that you that you would go to, I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. But at that at that time, I was a professor of a college in Southern California, Pacific Coast College. Mm-hmm. And one of the hats they had me wear was to counsel any student that came in that were that was having difficulty. I was one of the first lines of. Of, of well, first responders, I guess what you would call it, and they uh-huh. came to my office. So in that, I just had studied and have had 54 years of counseling. I don't think there's probably anything that I haven't heard. Uh, it, but uh, I've seen a lot of trauma, and I, what I realized was 
you know, I could counsel four people with the same event that happened to them that was traumatic, and only one suffered trauma. Interesting. So the experiences of life don't necessarily come across as trauma to everyone, but to someone, it does. It does. That's that's what we that's what we found out. Well, apparently, then, uh, the uh, executive producer of CNN uh, experienced some kind of trauma because he just dropped dead from COVID. Well, actually, for yeah. the vaccine, they oh, had mandated yeah. everyone take the vaccine, and he just yeah. dropped dead, point oh, blank, yeah. as so many are. Trauma and, and is everywhere, right. and it's is reverberating everywhere in our culture. We'll be right back after this break, friends. We're talking with Otis Ledbetter concerning how we can be set free from trauma. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Have you ever experienced a traumatic event or something that at least you experienced as trauma? Perhaps others would never have experienced it as a traumatic event, but you did. I remember when I was growing up that uh, periodically, uh, if I had done something out of line, which I didn't feel like I did very much, but uh, my father... uh, being a faithful pastor, saying that, uh, believing that you don't spare the rod, you spoil the child. So uh, he used a belt instead of a rod. And uh, at least initially in the approach of the belt, uh, it was quite traumatic. But I don't remember it as traumatic at this point because I realized that it was for my good and it didn't do any permanent injury to me. And I knew that my father still loved me, and that's the reason why he did it. But there might be some others out there who uh, might have experienced that as traumatic. And so our special guest today, Otis Ledbetter, says that uh, not everybody that experiences the same set of circumstances uh, experiences as trauma in their life. But there are many different kinds of trauma. And uh, my grandson, my oldest grandson, Otis, is... uh, a resident uh, doctor uh, there in uh, in the South, and he loves trauma. He just absolutely loves trauma practice. Well, that's a level of trauma that you're not really talking about in your book. You're talking more about more like what I might call micro trauma, not major trauma, but micro trauma. Is that correct? Indeed, it's what everybody will experience. And it's what some will carry through their life. And what what what, I, what I, I found out in my studies is that it is the event that that could cause the trauma, but the reason it doesn't cause the trauma in like three out of four um, is they realize it trauma does, is not really the event. If it were event, if it were just the event, 
we might walk right through it and get to the other side of that trauma, never really experience it. Mm. But er, earlier, um, when we were talking about it, I stated, uh, or in the book, I stated that I, I would be speaking largely to the everyday garden variety mood swing type trauma. Okay. And, and, and to be sure, there, there is that trauma that rises out of the ashes of common mood swings and, and it transforms into a serious swing, more mm-hmm. sinister. And psychologist Dr. Phil Monroe, he, he said he was on The World and Everything in It in a, in a, a blog. I, I heard him say sometimes we think about trauma as an event. But he says other times we think of it as an experience, and it really is an experience. Mm. It's true that events create experiences. But the reason that three people can go or four people can go through the same event and only one of them experience trauma, it's because trauma really is a chronic reaction to the event, like a car accident that disrupts a person's life. Mm-hmm. And, and um like they will jump every time a, a, a car comes to a stop sign quickly or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. The symptoms of trauma, they'll include flashbacks, the body will experience the reliving of it, or anything that overwhelms your ability to cope with it is really the trauma, not so much the event. All right, well, let's. you mentioned something about uh, uh, mood swings. And uh, is it possible that the person having the radical mood swing is not the one having the trauma, but it's the person that has to put up with it? That's, that's very true. <laughs> and, you know, I talk about that under the chapter of uh, mood swings, uh, from, from moodiness to maturity. Mm-hmm. See, it, in the chapters, what I tried to do, I'm, I'm a pastor, so the truth of the Word of God is what I rely on. And I say in the book, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a medical doctor, I've got 54 years of experience, and I've got education at the highest levels of education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've had those classes, but I, I've never been licensed. I don't because I don't want the, any governing board to tell me what I can say and what I can't say to help someone to get on the other side of what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so I've not done that. But in in the course of of, uh, of of my counseling, I think the greatest psychology book ever written is the Bible. Well, of course, because and, and, uh, the Creator knew us for the inside out. <laughs> he even knows our thoughts. That's right. <laughs> Before we think them, so uh, he must he, he must know something about the down our down sittings and our uprisings. Maybe that's why that uh, famous song "Just as I Am" says. Uh, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. People have fightings and fears within and without, and you don't necessarily know what those are until they're revealed, but uh, it sounds a lot like uh, internal trauma. It, indeed. And so that's I, I decided to go to the Bible, and Bible characters, you know, sometimes we make them plaster sayings, and they've never had a problem in their life. Mm-hmm. If you go back to every Bible character that God has put into the Scriptures, He has put within them probably the experiences that we will experience. They're not dissimilar to our experiences. They're All not right. the same, but they're not dissimilar. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I decided to, in studying this trauma-informed, the, what happens with it is trauma brings fear, it brings anxiety, 
It brings mood swings and moodiness. It brings isolation. It brings us living with lies. We we try to find a safe place away from that trauma, and we will we will live by lies if it takes uh, being in a safe place. Mm. And then the greatest obstacle to overcome trauma is really us. Um, I say it to you, and from from fear to faith, mm-hmm. from anxiety to assurance, from moodiness to maturity, from isolation to involvement, from lying to leadership. You know, how do we get through that, and what are the steps that we take to get to the other side? I've got those in the book, and I think they help people, and they're all from biblical characters and what their path was in that uh, faith to from from fear to faith, Mary and Martha, who lost their brother. Mm-hmm. Losing Lazarus was more than just losing a brother. It was losing financial security, because women in those times had no no they had they had no right to any inheritance. Mm-hmm. So they would have to get married if they were, uh, or they would if maybe they already were taken care of. But if not, they so to them fear and you know I. I hear so many uh, sermons on, well, Mary and Martha, they just acquiesced, and they just thought, well, Jesus knew, God knows best, and so this is not going to affect me. And a solid, thorough reading of that scripture, I saw it differently. Uh, Mary, uh, Martha was waiting on Jesus when he came down the road. She didn't kneel at his feet. She stood to him face to face, and her first, her first words to him were accusatory. Right. Had you been here, my brother would not have died. Come on, Jesus. What are you doing? Yeah. I gave you notice and you didn't show up. Yep. There, there it is. And from that point on, he tried to settle her down. And she did at one time say, I know you're the Christ and I know my brother will rise again. But that's when everybody else rises again. I'm talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And trauma brings us into the right now. What are you going to do right now? And it's where Mary and Martha were. Yeah. And, of course, uh, we know that Mary uh, came and worshipped at Jesus' feet, and Martha was busy uh, uh, cooking the meal and doing all the busy work, and she got upset, so she had a micro-trauma with her sister. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, speaking of that, uh, the word offense comes to me. when we take up offenses, uh, it is a, a form of trauma, it seems to me. Uh, as we're experiencing something else, the Bible warns us about taking up the offenses of others. Uh, it's very damaging. But uh, it seems that the taking up the offense is a response, an emotional response to an event that we witness. That's exactly right. Pastors have to deal with this matter of people taking up offenses regularly, don't they? Indeed. It can destroy a whole church. And it does. I've seen it. Yeah. It does. But Mary and Martha, I think God through that lets us see how they came through it. At first he encountered their fear. And then it turned into a fight. <laughs> uh, uh, From fear and, to and, a fight. 
from fear to a fight and then fault finding. Um, if you read that scripture, every one of Mary's friends and those professional uh, weepers that were they had there, mm-hmm. their friends, all had the same talking point. Had you been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And Jesus heard it. Sounds like the, uh, the news media out there all had the same talking points. All the talking points. <laughs> Always like it. And you know, somebody else out there that's listening today, may, they may need to get rid of fear, and they may need to get to their faith. There would there will be a path that God will take them through. Mary and Martha, he let them fight. He let them fault find. It hurt him. Mm. He wept when he heard the people behind him saying the same thing. He loved Lazarus so much, but if he had been here, that wouldn't have happened on his way to the tomb. And even when they got to the tomb, Mary, who said, I know you're the Christ, and I know at the resurrection my brother will live, did not believe there was life in that tomb. And he and asked Jesus not to roll back the stone because it'll stink. Yeah. And so before they got to faith, when God had to say, okay, watch this, then they had, then their faith returned. So if, if somebody's in the throes of fear or in the throes of anxiety, and Chuck, anxiety is a killer. Um, it, it, uh, literally, it, the, it really, it, um, it's the loudest voice in your head so that all the other things you're trying to listen to can't be heard. Well, let's let's uh, get right down to brass tacks. Jesus said uh, himself, based upon the times that we would be facing just before his return, he said, the situation is going to be such that men's hearts will fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth. Now, that's trauma. Men's hearts failing them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth. So uh, we talk a lot here on this program, Otis, about preparing the way of the Lord in our own lives for history's final hour. And it seems to me that one of the things that pastors do not do, they're afraid it's going to traumatize their their people if they talk about... uh, Jesus returning, the end times, and the troubled times that that means. We don't want to traumatize the people, so we just won't talk to them about it. However, it is my opinion that that is going to be the causation of one of the worst traumas people will ever experience, failure to warn them. Indeed. Indeed. And the the problem us pastors face is every Sunday we have... A message that God has given us, and and most pastors in this country stand uh, in fear and trepidation uh, because we handle the Word of God, and we handle. Uh, there's there's a church full of people out there, and they're coming to hear from God. Yeah, and God's going to speak through whatever I say here, and I'm going to stand before Him. So I need to say the right things, and what we have to understand is. We, we've got to try to get behind the veneer that that trauma causes, and a parent has to also try to get behind that veneer that a trauma causes. But, but uh, one lady, I, I can't even remember her name now. I, it, it doesn't come from me. But this is the way she described it. She says, trauma fractures comprehension as a pebble shatters a windshield. Hmm. The, Interesting. The wound... The wound at the site of impact spreads across the field of vision, 
it obscures reality and it challenges your beliefs. True. So let's uh, so, we're, let's build a little bit upon what we were just talking about. You're in the ministry, pastoring for years. I have been in, grew up in a pastor's home, and uh, have seen it for the inside out. And there's another kind of trauma. It's not just the fear of the Lord, it's the fear of the people. That's one of the greatest traumas that pastors face today. And the reverberating consequences of it are so vast that the people don't end up hearing the fullness of the truth of God. And so they wallow in the continuing trauma of the culture and never are able to walk by faith and stand up girded about with truth. What say you? Think about that until after this break. The book, Friends, Set Free, Release for the Damage of Trauma. So many things that uh, is, are brought up here in this book. $14 will put this hard book, hardbound book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Always a delight to come before you here on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most in our lives from God's eternal perspective. Our guest today, uh, Lotus Ledbetter, with his book Set Free, Release from the Damage of Trauma. Uh, any response to the question just before the break there, Lotus? Lotus. Uh, yes, I. Uh, you were talking about pastors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that uh, most pastors that stand in there, they're human. They've suffered trauma themselves, uh-huh. and um, and because they've suffered it, and because some have not found a way to get through to it, you'd be surprised how many pastors stand in the pulpit on Sunday with little faith. Um, <laughs> you mean, they, you mean they, they got their sermons from the internet? <laughs> Let me just pass that right by. <laughs> Well, it's good to be honest, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and they, they so they cannot get behind the veneer of the trauma that's standing out there staring at them mm-hmm. in the people. Mm-hmm. So they can't. So you have a group of people that have come in and they want faith. They want somebody who understands horizontally. You know, vertically, God understands, but they want somebody that understands horizontally mm-hmm. that what trauma is, and they want you—they want you to say something about it. They want you, to, you to get them from the fear they have today to faith. From fear so to faith. Exactly. Okay, I like that. All right. So um, you talk uh, early on in your book about alibis and uh, the 
I can't syndrome. Uh, and you, you use Moses as an illustration. Uh, Moses, by the way, has a vast influence and has had vast influence in America. Uh, so much of our country was framed uh, through the experiences and the message that Moses gave, believe it or not. Uh, but Moses had his problems. Uh, what was his problem anyway? Uh, I uh, w- We don't have a lot of information about what went on in Moses' growing up, only that he was educated in the Egyptian with some of the greatest educators. Mm-hmm. He had he had privilege, uh, you know, whatever he wanted would be done. But well, wait a minute. If you had been laid in a basket in the Nile River with the crocodiles, you think you might have had a little trauma? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think he, I think he probably did. And I think being in where he was with Pharaoh, knowing I don't belong here, until he finally came to the place where he would say that. And when he did finally come to the place where he would say that, he... He really uh, gave us the definition of the alibis. I can't. When when the, uh, God said, "I'm going to call. I'm, I want you to bring my people out." Well, he said, "Well, why don't you choose Aaron? He mm-hmm. can talk. I stutter. I can't handle crowds. I can't communicate. Now, I can't be expressive." You well, know, wait a I'm minute. A I've heard that come from the mouth of many, many Christians. Indeed, I can't. I can't stand up, I can't communicate, I can't speak, I can't be expressive, I can't be hospitable, I can't forgive, I can't handle pain, I can't do this, I can't do this. You know, I'm wondering, what's the difference between I can't and I won't? Yeah, I think the I can't... Come on, counselor, what's the difference? (laughs) The I can't for the beginning, the I won't for the ending. You know, the I can't become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, yes, it can, because it forces us to deal with, all right, if the Scripture says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then what right do I have to perpetuate the defense of I can't? That is a good question. Yeah. And we should not defend it. Which means, defend. which means I have to make a decision. So my decision to avoid the continuing reverberating consequences of whatever trauma has caused me to say that I can't, is actually preventing me from walking by faith, which means if I'm walking, if I'm not walking by faith, I'm walking by sight, I'm walking by my feelings, no wonder I'm in such deep trouble. Yeah. I, I think later on in the chapter when I was talking about Moses, when he, when he said, I can't, I think he says, I can't, because they won't trust me. That's because he killed a man. I I can't because they won't trust me. That's the pretense of I'm not trustworthy. And I can't because I'm not good with words. I think that's the persuasion of I'm not a persuader. You know, I'm not a talker. I can't convince. And then I I can't. um, uh, So please, you know, look at my brother Aaron. Send somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's the pretext of I'm not available, mm-hmm. and that's the I won't. You talk about uh, trauma uh, creating bitterness followed by anger and uh, reactive uh, behavior toward toward others, even those that are close to us. Uh, 
build on that a little bit. Well, um, when you can't get through the trauma, and particularly when you see other people have had your experience and they got through it, you'll always blame something else. Well, they have more money than I. They've got more friends than I. Here I'm stuck in this relationship, uh, this marriage relationship, or I'm stuck at a job that I, I really could you know, it's the blame game. Mm. Uh, we, we get into the blame game. So some some other reason. And let me tell you, anybody who blames, they're, they're, they're playing a game, but blame is just simply the unkind tool of the guilty. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, that one will pierce like a sword. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we get into that blame game. And, of course, it's the trauma and let me go back to that. It's the trauma that's creating that blame because they don't know any other way to get out of it. I tell you, Chuck, when I preached this sermon, it was an eight-series sermon mm-hmm. series, uh, um, in my church. You could hear a pin drop. Hmm. Usually, you'll hear an amen here and there. Usually, you'll hear, you know, something like, all eight weeks you could hear a pin drop. And I've had. Uh, Parishioner after parishioner after parishioner tell me, when you were on that series of trauma, you were talking to me. Ooh. And you mean you they, stepped uh, on tender toes? <laughs> and they admitted it. <laughs> now, that's the thing. And, and most people sitting in the pew last Sunday and this Sunday, what has driven them there, many of them, is that they can't get they can't, they can't get past it. They can't get past what happened to them, and that's a chronic reaction. All right, I, I want to bring say, this up again. Okay. They can't get past it, or they won't. They always have a reason why they don't want to. Yes. Yes. Because everybody has, everybody has a situation. Um, everybody has a situation where they've been betrayed yeah. in some way. It's betrayal is one of the worst traumas a person can experience. Indeed. Jesus experienced betrayal. Indeed. David, the king, experienced huge betrayal, just like Jesus. We all do. So what is the response? It's one thing to say, yes, I was betrayed, and yes, to have the feelings that go along with it, which are reasonable and understandable. But can we continue to live at that level of continuing to, shall we say, regurgitate the feelings? Or how do we move beyond that? Not victoriously, we can't. Um, And I I really confront that in the chapter 3 where I talk about Job Mm -hmm. and anxiety. Because fear, if, if if you walk down the chapters of this book, the first one's fear, the second one's anxiety, the third one's moodiness, the fourth one is isolation, the fifth one is lone lying, and the mm. sixth one is you. And my, my wife pointed out, I didn't know, but when we got to the table of contents and it was printed, she pointed out that, you know, that spells family. You mean to say that families are traumatic experiences? I don't know what you meant. Well, they are, yet God ordained the family for us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, even starting with our marriages. But you know, Job um, 
we we always talk about him as a shining example of his patience and all of that. But right. if you read through the book of Job, and in this this series, when I got to anxiety, it was a two message, uh, um, two sermon um, uh, to cover anxiety to uh, assurance. Well, that's because, because you were so anxious about it. <laughs> I know. The first, three <laughs> verses, the first three chapters of of Job are nothing but trauma. That's correct. And then the next 27 verses are him trying to get past the I can't and get to it. And here's how God got him through it. From anxiety, he went to anguish. Anxiety created the anguish in him. Mm-hmm. And even his friends says, said that Job is just suffering with anguish. And anguish will take you to the pit. It takes you to the bottom. And his friends, then what he wanted after that, from anxiety to anguish, he wanted answers. Give me answers. And three of his friends gave him the wrong answer. One friend gave him the right answer. God brought some trauma on those first three friends who gave him the wrong answers. And there was punishment for that. And then the last part of the book of Job is God and Job conversing and God explaining to him what the trauma was for. All right. And then the book wraps up with this. When Job Job prayed for his friends, as God commanded him to do, then God turned the trauma into victory and gave him and restored to him that which the locusts have eaten. And uh, I think the the end result there is, yes, Job went through horrific trauma that would have been just utterly devastating to most people. However, God gave a remedy there when Job prayed for his friends. And I think and have come to the place when I'm conducting a uh, group session, uh, whether it's small or larger, and we're praying and there's a need, you know what the what I ask the Lord to do? Show me the person that needs to pray for that need. Someone who has that very problem needs to pray for that need. And there's deliverance. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Our special guest today, uh, Lotus Ledbetter, with his book, Set Free, Release from the Damage of Trauma. 
and I want to make the book available to you. It's a hardbound book. Uh, your gift of $14 to Save America Ministries will put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, let's talk about our thinking. Uh, sometimes we, we hear it said that, uh, our thinking can become stinking thinking. Uh, the question is, what is stinking thinking from God's viewpoint? Well, when we think something, then we generally say it. So Jesus says, as, um, uh, it, what we say is a reflection of what we're thinking. So he says that, uh, every word that comes out of a man's mouth, he'll be accountable for in the day of judgment. Hmm. Then he also says, we're told in the scriptures, that as a man thinks in his heart, I guess that includes women, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> as you, we human beings think in our hearts, so we are. So it seems to me that we both create and perpetuate these uh, small traumas in our minds and in our hearts by the way we think about it. What yes, say you, is. Otis? That's what, that's one of the first things that I talk to somebody I'm counseling with. When when we finally get uh, to the to what is really bothering them, because people at first they won't tell you they're they're either ashamed of it or they think it's trivial and they probably shouldn't that mm-hmm. shouldn't be bothering them so. After a, after a few conversations where we get to the bottom of what's really causing the emotional setbacks or whatever it is, then uh, you, you, you can begin to see why they stay there because it's the, it's the stinking thinking that's making them stay where they are. They're not thinking. Most of them don't think they're good enough. Just like Moses, most, most don't think they're trustworthy. Some don't think they have the talents for it. Some, they just start, they start the blame game, and the blame is really toward themselves. And uh, so they, where point B is, they can't get there because of their thinking. It will not allow me. So they become comfortable in the pain. Um, if you can call being in pain comfortable, uh, but you can, can get used to it, and then you can justify it, and then you can even commiserate in it. That's, that's true. And when you get out of it, you can long for it again, yeah. like like the children of Israel did. You brought us out here? Why don't we go back to Israel? Yeah, well, what Egypt, you mean. Why don't there? we go back to I, Egypt? Sorry, Egypt. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've we got to make sure we cover each other here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul uh, talked about spiritual warfare, and to a certain extent, we're talking here about spiritual warfare, aren't we? And he said, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what these trauma things are that you're talking about, it's another way of talking about strongholds. They're strong, they've been allowed to become strongholds in our life. So Paul says, we have to cast down those strongholds and bring every 
thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we've got to think God's thoughts concerning it and stop thinking our own thoughts about it because if all we do is perse- uh, per- uh, perpetuate our own stinking thinking about these situations, we will never have victory and Satan will always have the upper hand. That's true, and Paul addressed it when he said, uh, uh, in the book of Philippians, he said, there's some things I want you to think on, and here are the things I want you. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, all of that scripture, he said, you think on these, because the uh, uh, when a person is trying to get out of this trauma, one of the things they're going to have, Chuck, is they're going to have, as I was describing, they're going to have negative thoughts. And you you have to get a person from thinking the negative thoughts that this trauma has taught them to think into thinking positive thoughts. And that's what Paul was telling the Philippians they need to do. You think on these, whatever is a good report, that's what you think on. You don't think on those other things. Because healing's favorite food is positive thoughts. Well, you know, um, as I think about this, uh, when I was 10 years of age, I was living in your neck of the woods in Fresno, right there, Fresno, Clovis. Uh, it's all the same metropolitan area. And uh, I was in school there in the uh, fifth grade. And it, at that time, my mother was constantly teaching us children's passages of Scripture. And one that she taught us then was Philippians 4, eight. What you just quoted, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think or meditate on these things. And I so appreciate my mother giving us that when we were young because it helps us to overcome things that uh, otherwise could be very destructive in our lives. Yes, and and one of the things that, that trauma eventually does, it, it will cause a person to get to a point that they'll take their own lives. As a matter of fact, we see it in Elijah on isolation. Mm-hmm. I talk about Elijah, you know, all the victories he had. Well, he ran with his servant when he got threatened, and then he told his servant to stay there. Even another day's journey, he isolated himself, and when he finally isolated himself, he told God, you know, I'm no better than man, sister, so just take my life. In other words, he, suicide was okay with him at that yeah. point. And what, what, we, what we see there is that isolation leads to hopelessness, and the hopelessness leads to desperation, and desperation leads to whatever. Yeah. Uh, when people get desperate, they do really weird things. Um, it is, and let's, let's think about this in the world in which we live right now. What is the constant chatter about? It's about social media, right? Yes. Yeah, social media. That's probably, shall we say, the exact opposite of what it is. It's anti-social media. It's causing untold anxiety among young people. Fear. It's bringing fearful people and traumatic experiences into their lives by linking with other people that they should not be linking with. And so social media 
is a disaster zone to create the very kinds of things that you're talking about. Anxiety, mood swings, isolation. Supposedly, while we're having social media, we're being more isolated than ever. And all the psychologists now are admitting that. And that's true. What's it doing to our young people? uh, Well, it is. The rate of suicide is escalating. There you go. Uh, That's that's some of the uh, information we got when I was in that meeting when they said trauma-informed is coming down the pike, and we're going to have to write curriculum about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where where our kids are, um, desperation. Yeah, Um, and it's going to get more that way. As we see the events that Jesus talked about, uh, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will. So get used to it. Realize it's going to come. If we admit that it's going to come, if our pastors will actually tell us about it and help us to prepare, uh, it's going to go a long way to help people from going over the cliff uh, when these things come, don't you think? I, I think you're absolutely right. And a pastor's, pastor's talking about it is so important. It's, it's just so important. Yeah. You know, the, next to the last chapter, I talk about lying. Because mm-hmm. fear leads to anxiety. Anxiety leads to mood swings. Mood swings leads to isolation. Isolation leads to lying. And um, just and the, the apostle Peter, mm-hmm. and, you know, the trauma he incurred when Jesus was taken away, he pulled out his sword and swung for the head and only got the ear of the servant. And also denied Christ and then lied about it. Lying. Lying. (laughs) That's what it led him to. Lying. Because lying was a safe place for him at that point. And otherwise he might be carted off to. So three times he lied about it. But, I'll tell you, uh, God took him from lying to leadership. He was the chosen preacher at Pentecost. So it's pretty amazing, a, a transformation there. A path in between, yeah, but you can't live by lies. You can't live by lies, and trauma makes you want to live by lies. Now, I'm going to apply this again in a way that you don't apply it in your book. But okay. uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that there's going to be massive trauma come upon the earth. Paul talks about it in Thessalonians. Massive trauma coming on the earth in preparation for the coming of Christ. And uh, Jesus warned about massive persecution. He said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Why should you think you should be different than your Lord? Now, here's here's my application point. I believe that the majority of professing Christians today will recant in one way or another, their faith. Because they will not be prepared, they will go over the cliff, so to speak, uh, in fear. They have not been prepared. The, the events that are going to take place and the environment is going to be so traumatic, culminating with the mark of the beast, that they will capitulate. And uh, to me... Uh, this is bringing it even more to bear because I'm convinced, Otis, we're living in those times. Yeah, and I think um, 
to your point, I think we saw a dry run of that in 2020 to 2022. Yes, we did. <laughs> when, when, when COVID uh, happened, uh, the people that I thought were the most devout were the most fearful. Isn't um, that shocking? Yes, and and in a lot of churches, and I, I I'm in pastors' list. I've I've got a lot of friends. Um, I don't know that the attendance uh, at large has recovered uh, post COVID uh, that happened during COVID. No, um, it hasn't. That that's pretty much the, the church. Yeah, exactly. People are afraid, and so they isolate. They're anxious. Mm-hmm. They isolate, and. Uh, it has broken up relationships. Uh, yes. It has prevented people from going to one another's homes. It's prevented them from exercising the quintessential expression of Christian love in hospitality. It has frustrated the kingdom of God. Yeah, and 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 they uh, they believe lies. They believe lies. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. Uh, they, they, uh, they believe the lie, and I tell you, um, um, that is, uh, um, I don't know if that's if that's the end of trauma or if that's what happens right before you exit and, and get a healing in trauma, but lying is certainly not a way to live. Well, I suspect uh, that it's both and, <laughs> like most other things in the Scripture. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, You say right at the end of your book, the destructive behavior says in order to accommodate fear, stay active panically, uh, panicking. Destructive behavior says when anxious feelings come, don't fight them, just let them be. Destructive behavior says coddle indecision, embrace mood swings. Destructive behavior says when you feel the need to isolate, give in and swing the mood of the status quo. The destructive behavior says it's tolerable to fabricate truth when you don't feel safe. In other words, we just justify what we want to do and stay in the pit that we began with. Friends, it's time to get set free. Release for the damage of trauma. The book, hardbound book, $14 on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. If you do so, add $5 for postage and handling. Uh, Sir Otis... Thanks for joining us from Clovis, California. I appreciate it. It has been my pleasure. Thank you, Chuck. All right, my friends. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 